Besides for those speaker. I saw a very interesting thing recently is that the Suda of Malava Malka, the Suda that people have, is somehow related to to David Amelech. Question is, what does Matzah Shabbos have to do with David Amelech? There's no connection between the two things. So I saw in a certain sefer that David Amelech had a prophecy, he had a nevuah that he was going to die on Shabbos. Every single Shabbos, when David Amelech survived, he gathered all of his family and all of the people that he loved, and he had a suda because he was zeicher, he merited to have another week of life. There is no greater way that a person can celebrate life itself. And that's really what the Suda of Malava Malka is. It's a celebration of life. Matzah Shabbos is a new week, a new beginning. And there is no, in my mind, the whole idea of Torah, Torah is called Torah's Chaim. Torah means life in a vibrant, vital, exciting manner. We're celebrating the birth of two girls, Gary's and uh, Mashiach's two girls. And it's not, I mean, it's a joke, but David was Malka Mashiach. I'm not sure how you, what you're going to do with that, but that's the, <laughs> that's the idea behind it. But we're celebrating the life of two girls that should be Zoycha to Torah, Ben Torah, and Chupa Masim Toivim. And it's the Torah of Rabbi Gladstein is a Torah of Torah Schaim and Torah Chesed. And it's a tremendous privilege for both of Akihilas, Bell Road, and Oratoro to celebrate life, Torah's Chaim, and the life of two new children. Thank you, Rabbi Glass. Yeah, good luck. Shavua Tov, thank you to the Rav for the very warm introduction. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov to Rav Mashiach, to Rav Gary, on the occasion of the birth of two uh, daughters. We're Mavarech you, Libansham should be Mazachayu, Legadlam, Latoira, Ulaventoira, Lachupa, Ulamasim Toivim. You should see much nachas for them, from them. And may the Zuchus of tonight's learning be oimed for them from the very beginning of their development that it should give them the zechus, that their lives should be filled with avas ha avas ha-mitzvahs, and may the new week be ushered in, as the Rav said, l'chaim toivim l'shalom l'anu l'chal Yisrael, amen. So, before even Malava Malka, the first ceremony of the new week, of course, is Havdalah. And it always struck me, Havdalah, we say a number of psukim before we actually make the brachos. <coughs> but of all the psukim that we mention, we say the pasuk, which of course comes from Megillah Sester. What in the world is Megillah Sester doing in the Havdalah ceremony? Here it is, it's a Matzai Shabbos, the middle of Chayda Shabbat. It could be Matzai Shabbos in the middle of Tishrei, and we're invoking Megillah Sester, Yehudim Mikar. Why in the world are we invoking the Megillah in the middle of Havdalah? And of all the Psukim in Havdalah, the one Pasuk that everyone says, Biyachar, out loud, is Yehudim Mikar. Why does everybody say it together? And then we all give each other a bracha, Kain Tihiyalano. As if this is the climax, the highlight of the Havdalah ceremony, by Yehudim And that's not the only reference to Purim in the Havdalah ceremony. Because very interestingly, the Beis Yosef writes, and the Torah writes, and I know Svardim do this, and maybe from now on Ashkenazim will do this as well, but the Torah writes that for Besamim Matzoi Shabbos, you should smell Hadas. You should smell a myrtle. Yeah, the Sfaradim do it. Not just those chives that come in that you could mistake for a canister of, uh, of uh, garlic, but uh, to smell Hadasim, to smell a myrtle. Okay, so uh, I remember when I learned this halacha, I took down from the top of the Aron. By the way, we could, maybe we could grab a few after the... 
I see they have, maybe those are our robots. Yeah, nobody's looking, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, I took down from the top of the arna and I said, you know, it's a halacha, but somebody asked, but it's not a segula. I said, okay, even though it's not a segula, but halacha is also worthwhile keeping. <laughs> it's brought by the Beis Yosef that Saturday night as part of Bistomim, you should smell hadasim. Why hadasim? Says the Beis Yosef, because the Pasuk says, Kol shoimer shabos mechaloloi, anyone who observes the, the Shabbos from desecrating it, and juxtaposed to that is, tachas hasirpad yale hadas. So there's a connection between hadasim and Shabbos. But it struck me, because the Gemara Masech the Megillah darshins from the Pasach, tachas hana'atzutz yale barosh. In the place of the thorn will arise the cypress. This is a remez that in the place of Haman, Mordechai will stand up. The sachas hasirpad, and in the place of Ashti, Yala hadas, Esther will stand up. So it's quite interesting. The whole miracle of Purim is alluded to in the very Pasuk from which we learn out that Matzai Shabbos we should smell hadasim. So again, here it is, it's Saturday night. We're finishing Shabbos. We had a beautiful Shabbos. We had beautiful Sudais. It's six months away from Purim, and all we could do Saturday night is remember Purim, Purim, Purim. We say, We smell Hadassim. And to top it off, there's a very interesting comment of the Chassam Soifer. Chassam Soifer says, we know that as part of Havdalah, you have to hold a avuka, a torch. The torch has to have at least two wicks. Says Achsam Soifer, these two wicks are a symbol of two great tzaddikim, Mordechai and Esther. So here it is. It's Saturday night. It's, we're hoping for Tu B'Shvat. Wednesday night, Bezat Shem will be Tu B'Shvat. Nobody's really thinking about Purim. And we have this ceremony to usher out the Shabbos, which is like uh, Megillah Esther, every single Saturday night. We talk about Mordechai and Esther. We reference Mordechai and Esther. We say the Pasuk of Salvation of the Megillah, what is all of this reference to the holiday of Purim on Matzoi Shabbos? So now, I want to share with you a small Gemara, a very short Gemara, a very well-known Gemara. And I want to focus on a part of the Gemara that perhaps we would take for granted. The Gemara is found at the end of Masechta Tainus, and the statement of the Gemara, we're not going to focus on as much as who said it. The statement of the Gemara is, Mishenichnas Adar Marbim B'Simcha. When the month of Adar comes in, we increase our joy. So you say, why is Gladstein talking about Mishenichnas Adar Marbim B'Simcha? My choices of topic tonight were either Shalom Bayis, or Emuna, or Chinuch Habanim. And here he's talking about Mishanechnas Adar Marbem Simcha. So be patient with me, okay? Bear with me a little bit. Mishanechnas Adar Marbem Simcha. The question is, you know, that's a very depressing Gemara, Mishanechnas Adar Marbem Simcha, because most people enjoy being miserable. Most people like being sad. Most people enjoy being grumpy and complaining. And then they hear this big mitzvah to be happy. It's very depressing Gemara. You know, people get satisfaction out of complaining. And, and then they hear, oh no, we have to be happy. So luckily, don't worry, it's, it seems... Luckily, maybe we should do the gun meeting tonight. You know? <laughs> he has one, yeah. No, he has one, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Um, from when the month of Adar comes in, we increase our joy. When exactly do we increase the joy? When does Mishanichnas Adar Marim B'Simcha begin? So simply it would begin when the month of Adar starts. So Reb Chaim Knievsky says, don't worry. You know, I see people getting nervous because it's already Chodesh Shvat and Adar is coming close. So Reb Chaim says, don't worry, you could still be grumpy and depressed a little bit longer. Reb Chaim says, Mishanichnas Adar Marim B'Simcha does not begin until the second day of Rosh Chodesh. Until Aleph Adar, you don't have to be happy the last day of Shvat. So you could breathe a sigh of relief, you could still frown just a little bit longer. However, the Ben Chai writes in Adar Saliyahu 
that Mishanichnas Adar Marvin Besimcha implies already from when the month of Adar is ushered in, namely from the Moilad of Rosh Chodesh Adar, which is sometimes even before Rosh Chodesh. In the Sefer Yushalayim B'mayadeha, it says Mishanech Nasadar begins even earlier from already Shabbos Mavarchim Chodesh Adar. But I'm sorry to share with you the rather depressing news that the Munkacher says that it says Mishanech Nasadar Marben B'Simchafam. When the month of Adar comes in, you increase your joy, which implies that you have to be happy even before Adar. It's just when Adar comes in, you increase your joy. So when do you have to start being happy? So I'm sorry to break the news to you that already now we start being happy in preparation for the Yom Tif of Purim. Okay, so that's what the Gemara says. But what's most interesting about the Gemara is who is the Baal HaMemra? The Baal HaMemra is who said the statement that you have to start being happy the Baal HaMemra of this Gemara is Omar, Rav Yehuda, Bray. Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas the Rav. So it was said by Rav Yehuda, the son of Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas, in the name of Rav. So the first question is, what happened before this man got up and said Mishanichnas Adar Marim B'Simcha? For hundreds of years, people were saddened and depressed and sorry for the month of Adar until an Amoira got up and said, you have to start being happy when the month of Adar comes in. And what happened before him? But what's most interesting is, this man's name was Rabbi Huda, Breder of Shmuel Bar Shilas. Shilas? What kind of name is Shilas? I mean, for real? At his bris milah, they asked the dad, they turned to the dad, what do you want to call your son? And he said, Shilas. And the ladies were whispering, what's the name, what's the name? And one lady said, Shilas. And said, Shilas? It's a Hungarian name or something. <laughs> what kind of name is Shilas? I mean, Shilas? Why did, why did his parents do that to him? You know, they once asked Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky about names. You know, do you have to name after the great-grandfather, the great-grandmother? The parents are going to be upset. The grandparents are going to be upset. So Rabbi Yaakov says, look, you have to make the grandparents happy. More important, Rabbi Yaakov says, than making the grandparents happy is the parents have to be happy with the name. And even more important than the parents being happy with the name is the kid has to be happy with the name. You can't kill your kid because you want to make the grandfather or grandmother happy. Who named this kid Shilas? What kind of name is Shilas? So somebody, somebody on the Zoom has a chat in the Shilas, so but I can't deal with the Zoom right now. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Yosef HaTzadik. We read all these partials that the introduction to coming down to Mitzrayim is the fact that Yosef was sold to Egypt. And really the lowest point in the life of Yosef HaTzadik is probably when the brothers ripped off the cloak of Yosef, they dip the cloak in, in the blood, they bring it to the father, and Yosef is uh, sold down to Egypt. And probably, let's try to think for a moment, what's going on in Yosef's head right now? As Yosef is being thrown into the pit, and he's being sold to Egypt, he's probably thinking his life is over. Here he had the opportunity to learn with his father, to learn Torah from the God of Hadar, and his father gave him preferential treatment. His father gave over to him all the Torah of Yeshiva Shema Eber. He was his beloved, the beloved son of his father, and here he's kidnapped from his father's house. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold down to Mitzrayim. Yosef is probably thinking, life is over. The Yivan Shem is abandoning him. Let's think about some of the events that transpired in the aftermath of when Yosef goes down to Mitzrayim. Yosef is confronted as soon as he's down there with Eishas Poitifera. And Eishas Poitifera makes an advance to Yosef. The Pasuk says, she grabs his cloak, but Yosef runs away. Now, let's backtrack in time a little bit. When the brothers took the cloak of Yosef and they ripped it off him and they threw him into the pit, Yosef probably thought that life was over, he was going to die, he was going to be kidnapped, he was going to be held hostage. And it turned out 
that that moment in the life of Yosef, when they ripped off his shirt, was actually one of the most important moments in his life. Because the Sfasemis asks, what gave Yosef the Koyach and the strength that when Eishas Poitifera makes the advance to Yosef, Yosef says, you know what? I'm going to overcome this Nisayon. I'm going to run away from her. I'm going to let her hold on to my, clo- my clothing and run. Dash out of the house. What gave Yosef that Koyach? Says the Sfasemis, because Yosef knew he already did that before. The brothers grabbed the cloak from him. The brothers ripped his clothing off. So Yosef said, you know what? Hey, that wasn't such a bad moment. That is literally what gave Yosef the Koyach to run away from Eishas Poitivar when she grabbed his coat. But says the Medrash, that when Klal Yisrael came to the Yamsof, and Moshe Rabbeinu said, hey, Yam, do me a favor, split. You know, make like the sea and split. And uh, Yam said, well, why should I split for you? Who do, who do, who do you think you are? I was created on the third day. I, you were created on the sixth day. I'm not splitting for you. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, you got to be kidding me. The Rav Shalom said, you know, you got to split. So Nachshon ben Aminadav, he jumps in, and what happens? Nothing happens. So Moshe, Moshe, what do we They show the Yam, Aroinoi shel Yosef, the coffin of Yosef. And the Medrash says, the sea split in the honor of the coffin of Yosef. Why did the sea split for the coffin of Yosef? Says the Medrash. In the merit that Yosef ran out of the house of Eishas Poitifera and dashed, made a mad dash, the sea split because the sea said if Yosef could run away from Eishas Poitifera, we could run away from Yosef. So think about the Hashkacha Pratas. Yosef is standing at the edge of the pit. His brothers rip his garment out. Yosef could have thought to himself, life is over. The Yibbam Shem is in abandoning me. I'm about to die. I'm about to be thrown into a pit. I'm about to be sold to Egypt. But think about what the Yibbam Shem is doing at that moment. The Yibbam Shem is saying, Yosef, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm grooming you. So that later on in time, when you're faced with the challenge of Eishas Poitifera, you could overcome the Nesayan because you've already run away when someone grabbed your garment. And in that merit, ultimately, the Jewish people would be leaving Egypt. Yosef, you think I'm abandoning you? You think I'm forsaking you? I'm grooming you. I'm being, I'm creating the refuah before the Makkah. You think this is the lowest moment in your life? This is the moment of the greatest hashkocha in your life. Think about it. In Yosef's mind, this was probably the lowest point in his life. But in reality, this was the greatest moment of Ashkacha protest in the life of Yosef Atzadik. This is what saved the entirety of Kal Yisrael when we left Mitzrayim. This is the idea that Yivan Shem is Boire, the Rafua before the Makkah. And we find this in history so many times. Like the Megillah says, that Esther becomes the queen, and only after Esther becomes the queen, Achar Hadvar Gidal The always prepares the Rafua before the Makkah. You think the vaccine is coming out now? You think, oh, only now they discovered the vaccine after the pandemic was rampant for six months. Of course not. We believe the somehow put the seeds of the refuah and created the vaccine, created the refuah well before he even brought the Makkah. The Gemara Megillah says, Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Makkah, Es Yisrael, Elohim, Kein Bayer Lohem, Refuah, Tchila. This is the Soidei Hu Emunah. Rav Hashem never brings a Hakkah unless he first creates the refuah. But now let's speak about an even higher level, an even more intense level of Rav Hashem's Hashkacha, as evident in Megillah Sester. Because after all, we're already in Choy Shvat. Tu B'Shvat is already Shloishim Yom Choy Machag. That means already Wednesday night, you have to start preparing for Purim. And in the Sefer already from the beginning of the week, so now's the time. My favorite question on Megillah Sester, the Kasha of the Briskorov. The Megillah ends as follows. Vayasem ha-melech ha-chashveroishmas al ha-aretz v'yei hayom. Ha-chashveros put taxes on the people and all the islands. He's a Democrat. What can he do? 
Ahasuerus taxed the people. <clears throat> he would never win in Arizona unless, of course, the election was rigged. So, <laughs> so I guess he could win in Arizona. <coughs> he might be running again, but right now, the Megillah ends, Ahasuerus taxed the people. And the big question is, who cares? That's the culmination of the Megillah. Megillah ends. Here, you would expect there to be a grand finale, there to be some, uh, Rabbi Mandel, some drama at the end of the Megillah, you know. This should be the highlight of the Megillah, that the Megillah should end, that Esther is the queen of the world. No, the Megillah ends. Achashverosh is a quintessential Democrat. He taxes the people. That's the big grand finality of, of, of the Megillah, that Achashverosh taxes the people, especially, says the Briskarov. The pasuk before is v'chomase sakpayu gvurasai u'farashas kedulas mardechai asher gidlay amelach halayheim kisuvim v'sefer devrei ayamim lemalcheim adayu faras. If you want to know all the palace intrigue and all the political background of the story of Purim, you're looking in the wrong book. This book contains nothing of the palace intrigue. This book contains nothing of the uh, historical background. If you want to know historical background, look in the Chronicles of Persia and Media. This book was written for one reason and one reason only, Lehagdel es Hanes, to understand Hashgacha Pratis. And the next pasuk is, random! taxes the people. Who cares? I believe this is the most important pasuk in the Megal. As we were about to see. The Pasuk says that Haman was corning, coming to the king. Listloy says to Mordechai, to hang Mordechai, al ha'etz on the tree, asher heichen Literally, that Haman prepared for Mordechai. Again, Haman was coming to hang Mordechai on the tree that he prepared for Mordechai. But the Pasuk says, al ha'etz on the tree, asher heichen that he prepared for him, says the Gemara, heichen loy, loy heichen. He didn't prepare it for Mordechai. He prepared it for himself. These words of the Gemara, Tana, Heichen Loi, Loi Heichen, are the fundamental mode of operation in Megillah Esther, and it's something we should be aware of today. You know, people are very nervous now. What's going to be? We had somebody in office who had our back, who was going to protect us, who defended the state of Israel, and now what's going to be? Tana al The Rebbein Shalom plays the following game, always. The Rebbein Shalom says to our enemies, I don't need to foil your plot. I don't need to spoil your plot. You make the plan, you make the plot, and I'm going to use your plot, I'm going to hijack and co-opt your plot, to use against you to help me. I don't have to knock you off. I don't have to stop you. You make the plan. You pick the guy. I will use him to accomplish what I want. We don't have to have our man in office for the Yvonne to accomplish what we want. The Yvonne is much more powerful than we think. We don't have to have the guy who has our back for the Yvonne to use him to accomplish what we want. The Yvonne says, pick your greatest enemy. Put him in the White House. Put him in power. I will use him to have your back. And we see this many times. Let's start with Parai. You know Parai? You know, the king of Egypt. So he has this uh, astrological vision. And he sees that the savior of the Jewish people is going to be born on a specific day. So he tells, uh, he makes the following law. Every Jewish baby boy, you throw him in the Nile. Now a kid that's thrown in the Nile, you know, it's a goner. You know, they're crocodiles, they're snakes. No kid is like going to be flowing, uh, floating freely through the Nile. So Paroi is planning to destroy the Savior of the Jewish people. And what's the Rebun Shalalam doing? The Rebun is looking down from heaven and he's saying, Paroi, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to stop your plan. You think you're bring, bringing the destruction and devastation to the Savior of the Jewish people? I will use you and your plan to 
create the savior of the Jewish people. So what happens? This little baby's floating in the river. And Paro's own daughter picks the baby up, brings him back to the palace. Paro says, well, what's that noise? She says, nothing. Don't worry, you're hearing things, Dad. Maybe you should get yourself checked out. You know. A few days later, Paro hears crying in the middle of the night. He says, what's that? She says, I can't anymore. You, you watch him tonight. So that night, 3 o'clock in the morning, Paro is you know, rocking baby Moshe. And uh, Paro says, what do we feed him? There's nothing left. She said, I don't know. Go out to CVS. Get him some formula or something. So Paro, in the middle of the night, he drives out. He said he goes there. They're, they want 50 bucks for a canister formula. He says to his daughter, it's very expensive. She says, you pay for it. So Paro pays for his formula. Paro pays for the diapers. Paro sends him to Gan. He gets a tuition bill in the mail. She says, you pay for it. He pays for his, uh, his uh, nursery school. He pays for his camp. He pays... Now, the Ibn Ezra asks a very interesting question. Ibn Ezra says, why was it that Moshe Rabbeinu had to grow up in the palace with, by Paro? Why doesn't he grow up among the Jews? So Ibn Ezra says, Paro, uh, Moshe grew up among the Jews? If he would grow up among the Jews, the Jews were slaves. They had a slave menta- mentality. They had low morale. He could never grow up among the Jews. He would never then be an appropriate leader. He would have low morale, a slave mentality. He needed somebody to teach him royal bearings. He needed someone to teach him how to be a leader. If Moshe Rabbeinu's tie was a little loose, Paro would say, you know, pull up your tie, you're going to be a leader one day. Says the Ibn Ezra, Paro groomed Moshe Rabbeinu to be the leader of Klal Yisrael. You know, Paro doesn't get enough credit uh, as he deserves. We always say, you know, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. No, no. Paroi Kibel Torah Misinai. Paroi, without Moshe, without Paroi, we won't be here today. We'd be, you know, we'd be breaking our teeth trying to learn one word. Only because of Paroi we have a Torah today. So Paroi thought he was going to destroy the Savior of the Jewish people. Little did he know, not only is he not going to destroy the Savior of the Jewish people, that decree will bring the kid into his house so he could groom the kid to be the savior of the Jewish people. On every Sefer Torah, instead of Zois Nidvas, you know, Mishpachas Friedman, it should say Zois Nidvas Paroi. Moshe Kibbal Tarmi Paroi, Yomasol Yeshua. Without him, we wouldn't be here today. Let's talk a little bit about the Megillah. You know, the Gemara says on the Pasuk in Yeshaya, V'hoisa l'ashem l'ashem. That God made a name for Himself. Right? How does the Gemara dash in this Pasuk? How did God make a name for Himself? Zu mikra megillah. Through the reading of the Megillah, God made a name for Himself. <laughs> and I always wondered, really? God made a name for Himself by writing the Megillah, by having the Megillah? This is the one book in Tanakh where God's name doesn't appear. So you could give every teretz in the world of why God's name doesn't appear in the Megillah. But the one thing, the one book with which God did not make a name for himself was the Megillah Esther. How could you say God made a name for himself with the one book that doesn't have his name? And I would like to suggest that in fact God's name appears in Megillah Esther more than any other sefer in the whole Tanakh. Okay, really? Where is that? Watch. Haman thinks that he's making the gallows to hang Mordechai. So Haman says he's going to make the tallest gallows possible. This way, you know, you know the king, the king is a melech hafachvach. The king is a schizophrenic. The king, you know, he's bipolar. One, the, he, he changes his mind back and forth and back and forth. So, so Haman says, look, there's no way in a moment of sanity the king would ever decide to hang Mordechai. But if I make this ridiculously tall gallows that's staring him in the face, if I get him upset for a second, he'll say, oh, I see the gallows, hang Mordechai. So Haman thought he was making the gallows to hang Mordechai. Little did he know that Ahasuerus got angry at him and he said, okay, off with your head. So Haman thought he was making it for Mordechai, he was making it for himself. And this idea appears throughout the Megillah in so many uh, examples. You know, in uh, the decree that Haman made, he says, Send out the messengers throughout the, through the hands of the runners to all the communities, to all the countries, 
When? In one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month. And what should it say in the edicts? The text of the edict, that it should be written, the law, in every community, which is revealed to all the peoples. All the letters said, was Haman said, write in the letters, be prepared for the Ides of March. Be aware of that day. What's going to happen on that day? Well, Haman knew what was going to happen on that day is he wrote to the particular governors, Lahashmid Laragliabed. In other words, the Pasuk says, Benishlayach Sfarim Ratim Lahashmid The governor got the message that on the 13th of Adar, the Jews are going to be massacred. But on the billboards and on the posters, that's not what it said. All the letter said was, beware of the 13th of Adar. But it didn't say what was going to happen on that day. Why didn't Haman want it to say what was going to happen on that day? Because Haman figured, if the Jews are aware of what's going to happen on the 13th of Adar, they're going to run to their governors, they're going to do what we do best. They're going to chan for the governor. They're going to give some shoychat to the governor. They're going to bribe the governor. And the governor is going to figure out uh, a way to save us from the decree of Haman. So Haman said, listen, just write in the public billboards, beware of this and this day. But the governors were, written, were given a private letter that they could massacre the Jews on that day. But it turned out that Haman's plan completely backfired on him. Because we know the law in Persia was that anything Achashver signs on cannot be retracted. But all Achashver signed on was beware of that day. So what happened? So when uh, Achashver got angry at Haman, Achashver said to Haman, okay, uh, let's just switch things around. Instead of the Jews being killed on that day, the Jews could kill their enemies and it's not contradicting the original edict because the edict said nothing. So Haman thought he was leaving the edict open because otherwise he wouldn't be able to kill the Jews. Turned out, he left the edict open so that we could kill our enemies. Here's the second to best one. Achishosh has a problem with his wife. Okay, doesn't know what to do. She doesn't listen. He says, come on, come out, display yourself. Eh, I'm not listening to you. You're a stable boy. I don't listen to you. She insulted him. So who does Achashosh ask? So he says, Who does he ask? He asks uh, the astrologers, the stargazers, kind of thing. He's the king of the world. You know? He's the greatest dictator in the world. His wife isn't listening to her, to him. So kill her. <laughs> That's what kings did back then. Why is he asking the advice of Chachomim Yoidei you know why? Because the Pasuk says, Ki chen devar ha-melech kol The Gerah explains, because that was the law in Persia. The law in Persia was that the king makes unilateral decisions about every single thing he doesn't consult, not with Secretary of State, not with Speaker of the House, not with anybody. But that's only when it's relevant to the kingdom, but when it's relevant to him personally... He can't make the decision on his own. He has to ask advice of somebody else. That was the law of Persia. That's the law for the king, the Gra explains. When it comes to something relevant to the king, the king cannot make his own decision. Comes along a man by the name of Memuchan. And before I tell you what Memuchan decided, let's fast forward to the end of the Megillah. So the end of the Megillah, Achashosh is fuming at Haman. He doesn't know what to do because uh, Esther is saying this man wants to kill her. So he takes a step out. He steps out of the palace. He goes to uh, breathe in the fresh air. Haman trips. Haman takes a misstep. He comes back into the palace. He sees Haman doing something inappropriate. And what does he do? He says, kill him! Carbonus says, kill him! So Achishosh says, let's kill him. Hey, what, I don't understand. What happened to the law in the beginning of the Megillah that whenever something is relevant to the king, the king has to adva- ask the advice 
of his officers. What happened to the law? I thought, Kichain Devar HaMelech, Lufnei Kol Yoide Dosfadim. He should turn to the Chachomim Yoide Yoitim and say, What should I do with Haman? The answer is, Vayoimer Memuchan, Lufnei HaMelech Vehasarim. Memuchan offers the following suggestion to Achashverosh. Yeitzei Devar Malchus Melefanav. Memuchan says, Achashverosh, what kind of ridiculous law do you have here in Persia that you're the king of the world and you can't make your own decisions. From now on, I would like to pass the following law. You have unilateral say about every single issue, even if it's relevant to you. And Akashur says, Amen. From now on, I decide everything. And the reason why Haman wanted to give Akashur's full power is he thought he would be able to use that to promote himself. So there's a great man by the name of Mamuchan that changed the law in Persia that from now on Achazeros could take matters into his own hands. And Haman thought, Mamuchan is Haman, he thought he was using that law to promote himself. Turns out that the whole reason how Achazeros was able to hang Haman is because Haman passed the law, And here's the best example of all. After the Purim story, Ahasuerus is married to Esther and they have a beautiful Jewish child named Darius. Now, did Daryovish have a bris milah? Who knows? We don't know. But he was a Yid. I doubt he learned in Koila. I mean, uh, I don't think he grew up as a Jew. He, he grew up as the king of Persia. He grew up as the, as the prince and then the future king. And then there's a man by the name of Nehemiah and Nehemiah walks into the palace one day, and Darius says, Hey, Nehemiah, why do you look so depressed? And Nehemiah says, How could I not be depressed? My temple lay in ruins. The walls of Jerusalem are breached. So Nehemiah, so Darius says, So build the temple. Nehemiah says, We don't have funds. We don't have money. So Darius says, No problem. And the Pasuk in Ezra says, He opens up the king's treasury, and he gives over to Nehemiah all the tax money that's been collected to rebuild the second Beis HaMikdash. And I ask you, friends, where do you think Darius got so much tax money from to be able to give to Nehemiah to rebuild the second Beis HaMikdash? Vayasem ha-melech ha-chashveroishmas Al ha'aretz diyei hayam. Achashverosh collected the tax money, and all that tax money went to fund the building of the second base Hamikdash. And now the Purim story has come full circle. Think about it. The pur- the story begins. Achashverosh is convening a suda, and what's the suda celebrating? The fact that Jeremiah said that the temple will be rebuilt in seventy years and 70 years are up, and the temple is not being rebuilt. So Ahasuerus takes out all the vessels of the temple, and he's celebrating. They say the temple will be rebuilt. The temple will never, ever be rebuilt. Ahasuerus is celebrating the eternal destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And the Yvon Shem is looking down from Shemayim, and he's saying, you fool, Ahasuerus. You think you're celebrating the fact that the temple will never be rebuilt? Not only are you not celebrating the fact the temple will never be rebuilt, this Suda will bring the demise to your queen Vashti that will bring Esther into power from which you're going to have a son Darius for who you're going to collect tax money for who is going to be the builder of the second Mesamek. By the, the beginning of the Purim story, Ahasuerus is celebrating that the temple will never be rebuilt. I believe by the end of the Purim story, Achashverosh has become the chief fundraiser of the second Beis HaMikdash. And indeed, there is great drama, and there is a climax of the Hashkacha Pratis of the Megillah. Because while Achashverosh is celebrating the beginning of the story, the temple will never be rebuilt. By the end of the story, Achashverosh unknowingly is collecting tax money. The Yvon Shalom says, I don't care if you're a Democrat. You could still be the chief fundraiser for the second base HaMikdash. You pick the person who you want to be in office, and I will use him 
for my purposes. You don't have to have your guy in office. Don't get so nervous exactly. Who's sitting where? It makes no difference at all. Right, David? Leif Sarim, Biyad HaKadosh Baruch They're just puppets. I always wondered... Haman minatoyer minayin, Esther minatoyer minayin. What about Achashverosh minatoyer minayin? Where's Achashverosh? You ever wonder about that? The Gemara in Chulin says, Haman minatoyer, Esther minatoyer, Mordechai. Haman, you know, hey, it's Mordechai. Mordechai, Esther, Mordechai. Where's Achashverosh? The answer is, he doesn't have to be there. It doesn't matter who he is. Achashverosh is not an entity. The the king, the president. It doesn't matter who it is. They're just a puppet in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They don't have to be found in the Torah. The, whoever, you pick them. Pick them. It doesn't matter who it is. It's irrelevant. Biyad HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Klal Yisrael gained such a heightened awareness of Ashkacha Pratis from the Megillah story, where every event which could have been a dagger in their heart, they saw retroactively, not only was it a dagger, it was the tool and the instrument with which Riban Shem brought the greatest Yeshua. There's an amazing Chida. Chida writes, let's think about how the Shulchan Aruch begins. Shulchan Aruch Archaim. Shulchan Aruch Archaim begins, Haga, Shivisi, Hashem, Lenegdi, Tamid. I place God before me always. Tamid. That's the first comment of the Ramah in Archaim. What is the last comment of the Ramah Archaim? Velev toiv mishta tamid. Someone with a good heart is always happy, always at a party. Shivisi Hashem lenegdi tamid. Lev toiv mishta tamid. Shulchanach begins with the word tamid, ends with the word tamid. Says the Chida, there are two timidim in life. You want to be happy in life? We're talking about emuna, but more than emuna. We want an emuna that will give us a simchas hachayim. If somebody lives a life of shivisi, Hashem, lenegdi, tamid, if you place the Yibam Shalom before you always, if you realize what you think is a challenge for the Jewish people, is Yibam Shalom grooming us for success, then you'll be zoichet to the last Raman Shulchan Aruch, the lev toiv mishta tamid. If you live with Riban Shalom before you always, then you'll be zoichet to always be besimcha. Because you know it doesn't matter what happens. Somebody shared with me an amazing thought. Yosef's on the bottom of the pit. Who's in the pit? They're snakes and scorpions. But if you look in Parakshira, what does the Nachash sing? The Nachash sings, Soimech Hashem Lechol Hanoiflim. You think Yosef was depressed? Yosef heard the cry of the snake. The snake cries out, God supports all the fallen. Yosef may have been fallen, but he knew the Yiban Shalom was raising him up. The snake was saying, What does the scorpion say? God is good to everyone. Under all circumstances. Yosef didn't know how. He thought maybe it seemed like life was coming to an end. But he understood it was a Yeridol Etzarech Aliyah. You know, many books of the Tanakh, God's name appears. Hashem, Ayim Hashem, Ayim Hashem, Ayim Hashem. But you know what it's like? It's like, you know, the guy comes to shul and uh, the Torah, oh, he jumps up and he kisses the Torah and then he, he's very happy when the Torah gets put back into the Aron, and he hopes that the Aron is locked with a triple lock, and he doesn't have to see the Torah again until next Shabbos. So he could do whatever he wants for a week. <laughs> Big deal you kiss the Torah. You kiss it goodbye until the next time you have to see it. Real Kavadah Torah is when you take the Torah with you, and you make the Torah part of your life. It's the same thing with the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. Big deal in most books of the Tanakh, God's name appears. You know what the highest madrega of the Shem Hashem is? When Hashem becomes part of your essence, becomes part of your being. In every book of Tanakh, Klal Yisrael is called Yisrael. Not in Megillah Sester. In Megillah Sester, we're given a new name. We're called Yehudim. 
The Shlach Kodesh writes, look at the word Yehuda and you'll see wonders. <coughs> Yehuda is the Yud Kevavke, plus the Dalid is the fourth regel of Hashem's Kisei HaKavayd. <coughs> The name Yehudim is someone who internalizes and integrates HaKadosh Baruch Hu as part of their reality. So the question is, God's name doesn't appear in the Megillah. It appears in Megillah Esther more than any other book in Tanakh. Because not only is Hashem before us, we reach the highest level of Shivisi Hashem Lenek Ditamid, where the Yivan Shem's name became part of our essence. We became Yehudim. Says the Arizal, Shilas, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Tamid. Shilas is Rashi Tevois. I place God before me always. And if your name is Shilas because you're living with the Rebbeinu what do you think you're going to name your kid? Amarab Yehuda. Read the Rashmal by Shilas. Because if you reach the Madrega of Shilas, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Tamid, which is the Tamid Shal Shachar, then you reach the Madrega of the Tamid Shal Benar Abayim, which is Velev Toiv Mishte Tamid. Omar Rabbi Yehuda, Braid Rabbi Shmuel, Bar Shilas, Mishmei Darav, Mishanichnas Adar Marben Besimcha. When you live with Rebunisham as part of your reality, that it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. There's pandemic. There's unrest. There's political strife. Your, your party has not been voted in. It seems weird. The Yibam is grooming us, preparing us for great success, for great happiness. Achashverosh seems to be celebrating Chorben Beis HaMikdash. He's celebrating the building of the second Beis HaMikdash. So it comes every Matzah Shabbos. Matzah Shabbos is such a depressing time. You know, the Sarah Imenu, her, her Shabbos licht burnt the whole week. Her bread stayed fresh the whole Shabbos. The Anun was on her tent. Why? What's the meaning of that? The Magen Avram brings a minog from the Shla that women don't drink from Havdalah. Women don't drink from Havdalah. By the way, you, you should know, that's only a minhag. But if for whatever reason, a woman's husband isn't home, she should make her own Havdalah. A woman needs to hear Havdalah. It's just if in an ideal setting, a woman doesn't drink from Havdalah. Why not? Why doesn't a woman drink from Havdalah? So in the Hakdama of the Sefer Mishnah Sachir of Rav Teichtal, there is a Haskama from Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld say, women are so mizdabig to Shabbos. They cling to the Shabbos. Shabbos is so part of the reality that they can't bring themselves to be mavdil from Shabbos. So women have accepted upon themselves not to drink from Abdullah because they want to stay connected to Shabbos like Sarah Yimenu who's on the Madriga of Shabbos the whole week. So her Friday night lech burned the whole week and her challah stayed fresh the whole week because she was always on the Madriga of Shabbos. But we men, were not on such a high Madriga. We have to take leave of Shabbos. It's very depressing, Masai Shabbos. We have to smell besamim to revitalize ourselves because we have to separate from the sanctity of Shabbos. But if you look in the Gemara Masech the Megillah, the Gemara says that when Mordechai wanted to institute the Yamtif of Purim, he said it should be a Yamtif. And the Gemara Megillah says that uh, he couldn't sell it. The Jews said, Mishlach Manos, yeah, no problem. We don't mind Mishlach Manos, even with a theme. It's okay. Matanas of Yoinim, we'll take that. Mikro Megillah, no problem. No Yomtif. I mean, can you may imagine such a thing? You offer a Jew a Yomtif and they say no thanks? What's the Pshat? So the Rav Shlita's Rebbe, the Pachar Yitzchak, writes that he heard from Mikubalim, but it's not in the Pachar Yitzchak, it's in uh, Leket Rashimais, that he heard from Mikubalim, who usually we know who that's referring to that the Mikubalim explain why did Klayisol not want to accept Purim as a Yom Because if you accept Purim as a Yom 
then what do you have to do when Purim is over? You have to make Havdalah. And a Jew can never bring themselves to separate from Purim. We cannot be Mavdil from Purim. We are Yehudim. We are so connected to Purim the whole year. Purim is so part of our reality that we cannot be Mavdil from Purim. So he said, Mordechai, we'll do anything you want, but we can't have a Yomtiv because we cannot be Mavdil from Purim. So comes the Matzah Shabbos. Such a depressing time. We have to separate from Shabbos. We have to say goodbye to Shabbos. So Chazal wanted to give us a little boost and a little chizuk and a little strengthening and encouragement. And they say, don't worry, Rabbi Yid. Don't worry, Klal Yisrael. Even though you have to separate from Shabbos, there is one great entity that a Jew never separates from. La Yehudim Oira. The simcha, the sasa, and vikar, a yid never has to separate from Purim. You smell those hadasim, you remember Esther. You take the avuka, Mordechai and Esther, and we're mispalel, and we grab on to the one thing that a Jew never forsakes, and that is agans yar Purim. Because if we live with the realization of shivisi Hashem lenegdi tamid, if we place Riban Shem before us always, then we're zoicha to live with the Simchas Purim the whole year round. We're zoicha to reach the Madrega of Alev Toiv Mishta Tamid. This is one of the great lessons of Miguel Asester, and this is certainly something worthwhile to take with us now. We're living through challenging times, but certainly the Riban Sham Menashamayim, he's not sending us challenges, he's grooming us for great happiness and great success. May we merit. Uh, Harenu Hashem Eschasecha, may we merit to see the Chesed of Hashem, the Karev Mamish, the Biyas Goyal Tzedek, from here of Yameinu, Amen. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov.